Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 412 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to have Annie F. Downs back on the podcast. If you don't know Annie, and there might be a few of you, maybe five of you who don't, you're in for a treat, and uh, she's always good to talk to. And we go behind the scenes and talk about how she actually hit the New York Times bestseller list, how to engage an audience. She's absolutely brilliant at it. So we talk all kinds of shop and then why you need a hobby. And I'll be talking about that in the What I'm Thinking About segment at the very end as well. So today's episode brought to you by our partners over at World Vision. You can sign up for their free web series with Danielle Strickland by going to worldvision.org forward slash carry and by ServeHQ. Go to ServeHQ.church to sign up for your free 14-day trial and use the code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to get 10% off for life. Well, hey, I just want to start today by saying, well done. Like, look, look at you. Look at you as a leader. You have made it through almost 14 months of pandemic. That's incredible. I mean, the biggest crisis of our lifetime, of our generation, and it's been hard. It's been brutal. I talk to leaders every day. I know you're tired. I know you're still wondering, okay, what's around the corner? And that's what we try to bring. But I just wanted to say, you made it. You know, you didn't implode. You 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 survived somehow, and some of you are thriving right now. So I just want to say that to encourage you. I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of encouragement these days. And so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to start off by saying, good for you. Well done. Cheering for you. That's why we do what we do. So glad to have you along for this episode. So Annie F. Downs, uh, let me introduce her a little bit before we get into our partners and then the show. She is now a New York Times bestselling author. She is a sought-after speaker and successful podcast host based in Nashville, Tennessee. She has just this powerful way of writing, thinking, engaging people relationally while being an incredible leader as well. And he's a huge fan, and this is one of the things I love about her, of laughing with friends, of confetti, of soccer, of boiled peanuts. And um, you can find her over at AnnieFDowns.com and all over the internet on the socials at AnnieFDowns. So Annie, it's just great to be able to talk shop with her. I know we really seem to enjoy spending time together, and I think you're going to enjoy this episode as well. Now, as I mentioned, I know this has been an incredibly difficult season for people pastoring congregations. Many of you church leaders are caring for the souls of others, only to find your own soul kind of withering a little bit. So I'm super excited that World Vision has a new training from Danielle Strickland. Now, longtime listeners, you remember Danielle talked about this, oh, a year or two ago on the podcast, and she has partnered with World Vision to provide a practical resource called Soul Care Prayer Postures. Uh, I pray every day. I know a lot of you do if you're a person of faith, or even if you meditate, like maybe this is something you want to try if it's a first step into Christianity for you. It's a free web series, and Danielle talks all about the rhythms to create space for God to tend to your soul. And it can be a force for good in the world. And that is World Vision's heart for the church to be healthy and to be mobilized to be the church outside of our walls. So if you want to sign up for the free web series today, go to worldvision.org forward slash carry. That's worldvision.org forward slash C-A-R-E-Y. 
ServeHQ has also helped over 2,000 churches over the last six years. Churches of all sizes have used them to streamline their volunteer onboarding process, run a digital or remote growth track, update their membership and assimilation experiences, and codify their leadership development flow. So what does it do? Well, it provides a powerful, simple-to-use online training experience and a new approach to just about everything. They've got over 800 video modules with quiz questions already preset, customizable for each one. You can engage your people with videos, with GIFs, images. That's GIFs, not GIFs, just so you know. Um, and more to train your communications team effectively and do real-time chats in a safe way. So if you're looking for a communication tool, one unified tool for your church to engage volunteers, members, and leaders, you can save 10% off for life by using the code CAREY at servehq.church. So that's just C-A-R-E-Y. Go to servehq.church and you can start your free 14-day trial today. Well, so excited. Let's jump into the convo with Annie F. Downs. Annie, welcome back. It's so good to have you. Terry, I love getting to chat with you. This is like such a dream. Last time you were under a blanket um, in quarantine. Yep. Basically no light in the room, almost kind of thing. That was that was a fun, <laughs> memorable interview. It was the right? early days. The early of days coronavirus. of COVID. Yeah, that's right. And here Glad you are, New York Times bestselling author now. Mm-hmm. Congrats. We're going to talk about that in a studio with like a real microphone and the whole deal. And, um, you know, you're, you're a preacher at cross point church. You are running a rapidly growing company. You just hit the New York times bestseller list. You've come through a year in your case, a year and a half of no travel, like, right. Yeah. Uh, What have you learned about leadership and yourself over the last year? Man, that's a really great question. Uh, Here's what I've learned about leadership over the last year is that we have to lead ourselves first. You really have to lead yourself first. And and if you can't be healthy leading yourself, you probably don't need to lead all the way where you're leading. I mean, that's what I've had moments where I've gone, hey, I need someone else to step in and lead this meeting. Or I need someone else to step in and lead this conversation. Or I need someone to lead today because I'm not coming in today because I, I, I'm not leading myself well, so I'm going to do some other things. So it's been a real lesson. I, I, I've seen this with my pastor friends. I've seen this with other friends of mine who run companies that we, everyone has had to relearn how to lead. And you've got to give yourself permission that you don't know how to do this. None of us have known how to do this last year. And, and leading yourself well is the first thing. I think. Yeah, no, that's good. But that's counterintuitive, right? Uh, I remember there was a moment with Danielle Strickland, who I know you know, and she's been on this show a few times. But because she she leads a lot of companies. I remember asking Danielle, I'm like, how do you keep it all in the air? And she's like, easy, just leave. And I'm like, what? (laughs) She goes, if people leave, they figure it out. If you leave as a leader, they figure it out. And it just, what you said reminded me of that. It's like, what do you mean you're not coming in today? You're you're the boss, right? And we're going to talk about like, you now have multiple podcasts and a podcast network and probably 17 things I don't know about. (laughs) So you've, you've found that to be like, yeah, I'll just like, what, what has that brought you? Yeah, without a team. I mean, literally, we, we let's talk about New York Times for a second. I mean, yeah. this book would not have hit that list without my team. 
I, I mean, th- I am the constant. I've written all the books. None of them have hit the list, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, yeah. even when people introduce me as New York Times bestselling author, I'm like, I mean, that's mostly true. What's really true is that sounds fun is a New York Times bestselling book because uh, it took a publishing team. It took my team here. I mean, we have nine people now counting me, not counting me. There's nine of us counting me. And I couldn't do it without a team. I couldn't do what I'm trying to accomplish without a team. A lot of people can do things without teams, but so that's been one of my biggest takeaways is the power of team. And uh, you know, I'm built like this, Carrie, but what I'm learning about myself is I love to build things and hand them to someone else to grow them. Mm. And I will build this and hand this to you to grow it, or I'll build it to a, to a degree. And then I'll go, that's as far as it's going to go. Then we don't do it anymore. Right. And, and so I, I have gotten to build a couple of things this year and hand them to other people within our company and go like, I, I promise you, I think I've said this to you before, but one of the rules in our company is if I say no today, that no is still true the day the event happens or day the thing launches. Or if I say, I don't care about what color that is, I'm not allowed to care the day it comes out either. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's <laughs> so, what leaders do, right? We're yeah. like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't care. We get into the room and we're like, oh, the, who painted that color? Like, yes. that needs to change right now. Yes. So, you so feel those everyone impulses. will say to me, this is your time to care. Do you care? And I go, yes, I really care about this, this, and this. Or I go, I don't care. You do it. Whatever happens here, I'm not going to, I don't care today. So I'm not going to care in June when everybody else sees it. So we have a lot of content creators listening to this show right now. And you raise a really important point, Annie. You've written a lot of books and it wasn't like, oh, they were all bad, but this was a good book. I know this is probably your favorite book, right? It's, you put (laughs) your heart and soul into it. That's how every author is. But you know, you probably like you thought, well, maybe we have a shot two books ago and maybe we have a shot with the last book. What was different this time? Or do you know what was different this time? I don't know. And I know. So both are true. Um, I don't know. God, God's sovereign. He puts books in hands. I have no idea how we move that many books in a week or pre-sale plus week one. Uh, what I do know is that I have been having this conversation about That Sounds Fun, the book, the same conversation that exists in the book. I've been having that for seven years on a podcast. And so Mm. I had an audience that was very ripe for the next level of this conversation. Also, and I think you know this, but inside the book, I had my podcast listeners contribute to what was in the book. And they could tell me, they could answer the question, what sounds fun to me with five words and their first name. And we have 3,000 plus of those entries in the book. It's pretty cool. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, like, I don't know that you can see that or not, but like page after page. And I found myself like, look, I just opened to another one. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's a full spread and it's like really small type. But it is amazing it's to see leader participation, listener participation. Yeah. So that so I think that helped because all those people, not only did they love they were in it and love finding themselves, they wanted everyone to know they were in it. Uh, and so that helped us to So you get created raving fans. You pre-included yes. them. And yeah. I am not a um this is getting kind of in the weeds, but I think our friends probably like talking about uh, it too. We love weeds. Um, I'm not a launch team person, uh, because I feel like a lot of times people who will sign up for your launch team would have bought two copies of the book, Uh, but because they're your super, super fans. 
Right. And so when you build a launch team and you go, if you will just write a review and if you will just tell your people about it and be, and if you'll be in this Facebook group, I'll give it to you for free. You've lost some of your super fans actually investing in the work. I, I had and, 2000 people in my last launch group. I'm like, yeah, that was 2000 sales that probably went out the window when you look at it. Right. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to go if I, if instead of doing a launch group, if I so we almost had the exact same number of people, you on your launch team, me in the book. Wow. Right. And so I had a lot. We considered them a launch team and we gave them the, we gave them we sent them emails before anybody else got it. We sent them the first two chapters before anybody else got the book. We gave them access to the pre-order gift before anybody else because there was a limited number. We treated them like a launch team. I just didn't call them a launch team because I think you, Carrie, you have, I am one of them, raving fans. You have people who want to invest in your work and want to be up close to you as you're doing your work. Can, can we not get a free copy of the book, but get something else instead? Oh, that's a really great idea. Okay. I'm taking notes and yeah. I'm going to play this for my whole team. This is really good. <laughs> Any Anything, because you just changed strategy. We're literally, my book yeah. comes out in September. Yeah. We're literally like, I have a marketing meeting next week. What are we going to yeah. do? We're talking about launch team versus no launch team. And so we're trying to figure that out. But the principle is brilliant. You give people ownership in it and they're included in it, which we've talked about before. Like, I think you're genius at that. Like you are just everybody's friend. And you're so good at that. Okay, so anything else that was different or the same or mysterious? Um, I think doing, I mean, now the the medium is podcasting, right? Like yeah, the number yeah. one medium is podcasting. But when it comes to New York Times, they care about national hits. They care about national TV. And so mm -hmm. having a PR team that that can maybe get you some of that helps a lot. We had one hit nationally that week that mattered to them. We were on the, I was on the doctor's. Um, that TV show. And, and so we've had, we have a couple of delayed release hits because the other thing that happens, Carrie, is when you'd probably notice, but when you get one of those, your PR person sends that clip to everyone who said no to you. Right. I know you said no, but now that you see her doing it on another national TV show and then the producers go, oh yeah, yeah, we do want her. So we booked three more after they saw that one. Right. And so that's the, and so that, that 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 cracks the code like the whole among those of us who have published books, the whole New York Times bestseller list. I mean, Seth Godin has said quite publicly he thinks it's, you know, rigged or there's no yeah. point. Other people are like, it's like the iTunes algorithm. Nobody's really sure exactly what it means. That's right. That's right. right. But you think, think like some kind right. of national coverage makes a difference, not just I rock, think it helps sold. because I think they're both right that it is rigged in some ways. And the problem is, Carrie, I, it's a great accolade to have it is it is oh, yeah. what we there isn't a bigger thing in the u.s it, it's like winning a Pulitzer prize almost or you know in in book and world. yet everyone yeah. inside the system knows the system's busted yeah and so it's like if 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 all of our friends out on the other side knew that publishers weekly was actually the one you want to be sure you're on because that's pure numbers or USA Today or Washington Post like if they knew the other things that we cheer for each other about and knew why, because you're like, well, if you hit Publishers Weekly, you sold a lot of books, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> and so, it, you know, but but to me, New York Times is important, uh, A, because it's a goal I set when I started my career in 2011. So 10 years ago, it's a goal I set that we achieved. Uh, number two, it puts your book in front of a lot of people who don't believe everything we believe. 
And it says to those people, that's a valuable book. And so maybe, just maybe, people who don't know the Lord will pick up a book that they see on New York Times bestsellers list. And that that's, that matters to me. That's my prayer. That's been my prayer behind my last book. Then, you know, we talked about airport placement. We talk about yes. unusual places for books like the kind of books you write or I might write to end up yep. so that they fall in unsuspecting hands and they're yes. genuinely helpful to people. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's yeah. right. So even oh. when I'm thinking forward for you, though, if you want me on your marketing meeting, just give me a call. But yeah, I don't you're, know you're everything. In. You're in. Signed up. I'm like, man, how can we get the Annies, the super fans of Carrie, to buy a copy for someone who needs it and for ourselves? Right. How do we start a gifting cycle with this and Did book? you do that on this launch? No, not on this one. Mm. We didn't. Mm. Um, I I haven't asked anybody to share it like that yet. That has not been our goal. My goal was I want it to get in your hands. When people, you you know this question a lot, but people say, what's your one hope for this book when it comes out? (laughs) And And I've said to people, because I write so much about hobbies in the book and about the power of doing something that doesn't make you money and creating something you don't sell. I'm like, I want hobby stores to run out and kitchen utensil stores to run out and, you know, all these places, sporting event stores, sporting goods stores to run out. That's, that's my hope. That's the impact I want to have on culture. And so I haven't, that hasn't been a strategy we've used, we've used yet is getting it and gifting it. Um, I did that with remember God, the book before this one, but with this one, it was more like you guys go read it, read it, do what it says. And then they hopefully naturally share it. Let's talk about the genre of the book. So it's called That Sounds Fun, which is exactly yeah. the name of your podcast as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's the joy of being an amateur, power of falling in love, and why you need a hobby. It's a genius book. My assistant actually read it. I didn't ask her to. Uh, Sarah, who's worked oh, with me for years, yeah. she said, tell Annie it's amazing. And tell her I feel like her friend. I said, I think that will make her really happy. It does. Um, Thank you. But I'm reading through it, and I'm like, what? what genre is this? Like, it's kind of your journal. It's kind of... Um, little snippets. It's it's um, like a diary, but it's also like fiction, except it's not fiction. It's nonfiction. It's your life. There's insights. There's whimsical moments, profound moments. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what this is, but it's it's hard to put down. Like it yeah, really is. It's a beautiful you. book. So tell us about the genre. So a little bit of that is intentional. Ah. Is I like... I like when people say, man, I picked up that book because I like the cover. I had no idea it was going to go there. I I like doing that. I like people having an experience they don't expect from my books Hmm. because my, my biggest goal is, and we say this a lot around here. If, if people fall in love with the people of God, they will fall in love with God. I Hmm. really believe that. And so can I write a book that makes the reader feel like we're friends? Yeah. Because if they will f- be friends with me through a book and then they'll listen to a podcast. And did it, I mean, uh, in our mission statement here at the office, we say I'm a bridge. Mm. I'm a bridge. I'm not the starting point or the stopping point. And so I'm not going to get wildly famous out of this, but I would love if all my listeners came to you and you did. Or I love when all my listeners hear about a book or hear about an album and then they become super fans of that person. I love being a bridge. And so That Sounds Fun, the book is a bridge book where it will either bridge you to a hobby or bridge you to Jesus. And we mentioned a couple of different particular people in the book. So maybe we bridge you to them and their work. Mm. But my hope is that as I'm telling you my story, honestly, I mean, we talk about Onsite, the counseling center here in Nashville. I want to bridge people to want to go to onsite. 
And so I want to tell a story that bridges them. I talk about the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. I want to be the bridge that has people buy tickets to the Ryman. And so I, I try to write books that tell my whole, that tell the a fullness of the public story as best I can for the last window of time that that book is about that bridges people to better things. Mm. And you know what's interesting? Because so much stuff now is formulaic and you have a lot of young leaders listening right now and they're like, I'm going to take this template. I'm going yeah. to use that. And then maybe I'm going to make it big, right? Like fame is actually a goal now if you look at... Yeah. Uh, younger generations, well, really probably right. all generations. It, did you follow a template or you just kind of made this up? Like it feel, it felt unique to me. It really did. Thank you. Um, I don't, I did not follow some of the templates that we know of. The, mm. the systems where you can pay to get a course that tells you how to put this on this page and make sure you have this on the cover yeah, and yeah. all that. Yeah. I did not follow one of the, those with that sounds fun. But part of having a traditional book deal is a lot of your editors or a lot of your uh, marketing team does know a lot of that stuff. So they'll go, hey, yeah. can we do this? Can we do that? doesn't change my work, but they add their expertise to it. So for me, when I was writing, that sounds fun. I knew the felt need, which I don't think is a, I don't think that's a template as much as going like, if your book doesn't help people stop writing, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Even if it's a novel, if it doesn't do something to help people be a little bit healthier when they're done, whether it's healthier in their imagination or healthier in their heart or healthier because of the decisions they're going to make then like, you're writing your journal. Stop doing mm. that to us. We're not here to read a whole book and not want to be any different because of it. That was and unique, so having, you know. Right? Go ahead. No, I felt like I was reading your journal, but it was helping me, which was good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I am thankful for that. But that's kind of always been my calling. I feel, and I don't use that word lightly, Carrie. So for our, our leader friends listening who are wanting to write a book or wanting to get on bigger platforms or wanting to start a podcast and have a thing to say, like, don't look at me and Carrie as I want to get in line behind them. Look at Carrie and I and go, okay, they figured out their lanes. What's my lane? Hmm. And then, and cause then the fun thing is that they know is you and I are never competing. We're always cheering for each other because universe. we're yes. And because I'm not trying to run in your lane, <laughs> I'm running in my lane. And even the leadership lane, quote, quote, isn't a skinny lane and it isn't one lane. You and Tyler Reagan are doing very different things, but helping leaders immensely. Tyler is such, I'm sure, have you already had him on about the new book? Not quite yet, no. Yeah, I mean, that new book about how do you take over something that someone else started and succeed with it? Like that is a lane that people need help in. Yes. And, and so for me, my lane is, what does it look like to be a friend of God's? And what does it look like to be a good friend to other people? Like, what does that word friend mean? And can fun actually matter? I think that was my insecurity going into this one and going into a lot of my life, honestly, Carrie, has been, why do I still want to have fun and everybody else, quote, grew up? Like, am I Peter Pan? Or am I just an Enneagram 7 who won't ever feel pain? And the reality is, once God started like really kneeling me about this, and this is, I write about this and that sounds fun, once God started going like, what if I made you like this? Mm. What if the actual body of Christ needs an Annie? Because we need someone to remind us to have fun and to remind us to pick up some old hobbies like a sport or cooking in the kitchen or doing puzzles with our family. Like, what if someone needs to remind us that it's not all bad? Mm. And, and the world doesn't really celebrate that very much. That's why you don't have a genre for a book about fun. 
It's very, very true. It's, and it really made me, you know, I'm reading it. We're still in semi-lockdown in Canada, but I'm reading it going, hmm, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm missing some fun, you know? Yeah. And I want to get to that. While we're still on the, the meta, because I want to break down the message yeah, of the I book love, before But you know I love talking today. about this stuff with you. Yeah, yeah. The meta really interests me. So this did spring out of a podcast and uh, you launched a second podcast that you personally do about a year ago. And then you launched a podcast network that that sounds yeah. fun podcast network, right? What are you learning about podcasting podcast networks? Again, a lot of podcasters listening and a lot of people yeah. who want to start one. Um, podcasting is still the wild west. It's still mm. hard to know metrics that are success. And it's hard to know how to do this well. And the question I get the most people have figured out what, what, supplies to order and what resources they need. They just don't want to, they just don't know how to get listeners. Yes. That's what everybody can't figure right. out. Picking the mic I, is not your biggest challenge. Right. Right. So what we've learned, so let me back up and tell you a little bit why we started the network is a, after I've been on, I've had two other people do advertising for me. I've had mm. two other, uh, once one network and one an independent sell advertising for me. And what I was missing out on, and I wonder if you've experienced this, Carrie, what I noticed the most is I felt really alone in this part of my job. Mm. I mean, I always have a guest like you. So there's always someone on the other side, but like there was nobody to talk shop with and no one to do this with and go like, hey, can I, that person you just interviewed, I would love to talk to them. Mm -hmm. and, and so I thought networks are not building for me. Networks are building to try to sell ads. I'm, I want community. I want to be in a group of podcasters who want to talk about this together and help each other be better at it. So on top of that, can we sell advertising for my shows and for any other shows? Because the fun thing, here's the cool thing. You're getting me all excited about this. It is really cool that I release two hours of content a, a week. That's great. Two and a half hours a week. Cool. What's really cool is now that we've got 10 shows on the network, we're doing like 26 hours That's or something cool. insane like that. Yeah. I mean, talk about darkness being overtaken by the light. I mean, that's that's what I'm here for. So there is something. So what has been fun about the network is we create, uh, when we created the network with my business partner, Kelly Haywood, we created the network so that we can help other people do the work of sending out light and sending out good things. And so that that's been incredibly fun. Finding listeners across every podcast is the hardest part. See, that is so interesting because we're looking at starting a podcast network. We have a, a nascent oh, one right it. now called Thrivicity. And again, yeah. you're right. Historically, the model is it's ad sharing. And our challenge yeah. is we have more people who want to partner with us than we have space available. So we have, you know, right. people to share, other platforms, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to be like five commercials a podcast. I think that's a mistake. So anyway, you know, but I, I had a moment where I was talking to another guy who might have four podcasts into the network. And he just said, you know, it'd be really valuable to me because yeah, that's administrative. He said, exactly what you said, somebody to talk podcasting with. Yes. And I'm like, yes. yeah, why don't we build it that way where we do a monthly or quarterly call? And we're like, what are you learning? What are you learning? What are you learning? And we're all cheering for each other. And that yes. is the network. I think you're right. That whole idea of network and community and even being able to talk shop is yes. so helpful. So uh, put a and pin we, in that. And we haven't done Podcasters. a call. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's right. We haven't done a call. We haven't done a gathering, but we're all on Slack together. We're all on the same Slack, uh, you're on Slack. Uh, yeah. network. Not what? No, what's it called? Uh, workspace. We're all on the same Slack okay. workspace. I, as the owner of the network and, uh, and all of our employees, we have access to everybody's channels. But another show comes on and they have their channel. They have a sponsorship channel and then they're in the general channel and the general channel is where all the hosts are. So when mm. someone's birthday is happening, when someone is new is joining the network, when somebody has a question, that's what's buzzing in there. And so there's just this constant place to go where you can go, Hey, I, I had a quick question. Do y'all have an idea of how we do this or what is mm. everybody doing for father's day or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's given oh, us advertising. But it has also given us community. And and you can get one of those from any network. And I couldn't find the other anywhere else. So I just built it. <laughs> that is that is great. I think community is going to be more and more important, you know, as, as we move forward yeah. and all the old structures and institutions break down. If you look at, you know, your alma mater, you look at historic yeah. institutions, you look even at denominations. I think network is the future. Okay, so let's talk about yeah. your book. Uh, it's got a unique angle, but you're talking to a lot of leaders because the book is about having fun, developing a hobby and a bunch of other stuff thrown in. But you're talking to a lot of leaders who struggle with fun. They're just not very good at it. And I have to remind myself. So I'm an eight, you're a seven with an eight wing, yeah. right? Did I get that yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I'm you're an eight like, with a seven. Uh, yeah, she's got an eight wing. <laughs> Definitely an eight. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Um, but, but, you know, a lot of leaders really struggle with fun and talk to, talk to, do you think there's a poverty of fun in leadership in the leaders you've yes. met? Yeah. Yes. And I can actually tell you exactly why leaders have a problem with fun okay. is because everyone else expects us as leaders to always have the right answer, <laughs> to always be able to solve the problem, to be on call and to some degree, 24 seven and and we have told ourselves, I have told myself at times, and I would a lot of leaders I know walk with me in this, I cannot make time for fun because the world has too much going on. Mm. And, and what's actually true is you make space in your life for everything that makes you healthier. You eat, even though you're busy. Mm-hmm. You exercise, hopefully, even though you're busy, you sleep at some point every night, most most of us, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we can't like, I'm so busy, I haven't slept in six weeks. That's not real. We have to. Your body yeah. cannot maintain a world where you don't do things that are healthy for you. Oh, I've just been so busy leading my companies that I've had pizza three meals a day. Nah, sorry. Like, sorry. We don't believe that's why you had pizza three times uh-huh. a day for six weeks, right? And so to me, the two that we lack in, I would say especially spiritual leaders, but company leaders that are non-faith-based as well, is we lack in rest and we lack in fun. Hmm. Because- and though it goes in that order when we get home from work. So I'm thinking about some dad who's 36. He's pastoring a church. He's got a staff. He's also at home. He's got a wife and he's got three kids, all middle grades. You know, they're like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. He gets home from a long day of leading in a thousand ways, making incredibly hard choices and getting five emails of people who are mad about something he said on Sunday. And he comes home and his son wants to play baseball outside. The problem is our pastor is exhausted. 
Yeah. And so he realizes I need, I need to be, I want to be this dad. So I'm going to go play, but this will not be fun for me because I'm actually tired. Yeah. And so our first problem we have to face is our tired problem because it's really hard to have fun when you're exhausted. So if we can start working on our tired problem so that when our son, when pastor son says, can we go play baseball? The pastor goes, I was going to take a nap, but actually tomorrow's my day off anyway. And I know I'm going to get to rest. And what if we turn the TV off an hour earlier than we normally do because I'm tired and I'll go play baseball now and go to bed earlier, knowing that rest is going to help with my fun. And so I think that's a lot of the reason we do it. Men do it. Women do it. You know, moms are incredibly busy and making time for their own amount of fun and their own rest is really challenging. So it's a community. It's everything we're talking about, Carrie. It's getting your community involved. It's getting your single friends like me involved and going like, hey, I would just like to go to Target by myself. Will you come sit with the kids for an hour? Yeah, Yeah, of course I will. Don't hire a babysitter for Pete's sake. Just have dinner and I'll be very happy. And so I I think that's uh, one of the problems that leaders have with finding fun. You and I were talking when we were getting set up about, you know, your book just launched and it's a busy season. Any author knows that. But we're coming off a year of busy seasons now and probably heading into a weird future. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's not going to be the same. So you said something really interesting about a date on the calendar. Can you talk about (laughs) that principle? Because you and I've had similar seasons. We're running really hard. And I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. Well, actually, you said the wise thing. And I just said, you need to re-say that when we hit go because (laughs) people need to hear. Um, Yeah, it's the beginning of March and I am and my book launched on February 2nd. So as we're recording, it's the beginning of March and I am really tired. I'm I'm pretty I can tell that I'm not enjoying my life as much as I normally do because I want to break. And, and so we put it today when I I told you, when we came into work today, I put a date on the calendar in two weeks for the, for my whole staff. And I said, everybody is taking this day off. So you've got two weeks to you. I'm not telling you tomorrow. I'm telling you two weeks. You've got to go to sort everything out. So you have nothing to do that Friday. So you can be gone without guilt. And so we're all taking that day off. But the other thing I said to you is, okay, Carrie, if I still feel this level of busy and stress in May, something's wrong. It's okay to have a busy season. It's a problem if that season is extended and you're living a adrenally fatiguing life. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I've said that date to a lot of people. I've said, okay, at the beginning of May, if this isn't better, then something really has to change. I remember that. It was around the similar pacing and time. Um, yeah. My book released September of 2018, I think. And I remember by November, I was dead tired. And that's a book launch, right? It could be whatever you're right. dealing with. You got some crisis, you got some personal thing. I literally put a date on the calendar and I'm like, if I'm not better by then, I'm going to go get help. How do you know? Because I think uh, a lot of our lives, we don't know how tired we are. What are the signs to you that you're tired? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, okay, so for my personality and for my anniness. If I am, if I'm not like, I love my job. And if I'm not excited when I wake up, if I have the Sunday scaries to a pretty severe degree on Sunday, I know I'm tired. I know that there's actually nothing wrong at work. Nothing wrong that is not normal humans interacting with humans every day. You know, like we don't have like 
it's not Cinderella's life over here. And it's also not like the fairy godmother's life. It's just working people. And so if I have Sunday scaries, that's an alarm to me. That's a red flag to me. Um, I would also say if I can't look on the calendar and see a break coming or see a day off coming anywhere, that is a red flag to me. That means that that I haven't built my schedule correctly. Not that mm. we should have like every Friday off, but yeah. all right, maybe, maybe we should have every Friday yeah, off. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, I think, no, if I don't know, um, I also, for me personally, it's, it's how I'm treating my body. It's what I'm eating and whether I'm exercising, that is a real alert to me. If I come home with a bag of Oreos from the grocery store, I, I need to, I'm allowed to do that. You can have whatever you want in your house. There's no good or bad food, but that is a trigger food to me. That's like a, mm-hmm. a, a triggering as in like that puts an alarm up of like, here's one red flag. Are Did you just really want Oreos or are there eight other red flags that this is our ninth one? You know? Yeah. One red yeah. flag isn't the pl- problem. It's a a line of red flags that people need to know about. And I would also say, Carrie, if there's anything secretive going on in our lives, right. if you're doing anything secretive, that is the red, that is actually the only red flag that can stand alone that needs attention immediately. My mm. Oreos don't need attention immediately, but <laughs> if you're doing anything secretive, if you have a secret life on your phone, if you have a secret relationship, if you have a secret money thing, if anything is going on secretive, you are past the point of healthy and that's a red flag that you need to invite somebody into. Uh, that's good counsel. So I want you to be my counselor for a moment. I, I feel like my adult life is broken into two halves uh, that happened 15 years ago. I burned out. We've talked about that on right, previous right. episodes, on your show, et cetera. So I'm 15 years on the other side of it now. But after that, I was trying to figure out how do I live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow, which is my next book is yeah, about. But I wrote a value. I wrote a value for my company a few years ago. It's a personal value. And I wrote down, literally, I've got it sitting over there on the mantle of the fireplace, yeah. have fun. And the question is, am I taking it all too seriously? Because my temptation is I'm just going to work, 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 work. One day I'll be dead. I may wake up in heaven. You know, that'll be a good day, right? That's going to be my life unless I stop it. Is it weird to like actually write down a value, like have fun? And then I'm trying to make that part of my company. Yeah, no, I don't think it is at all. And I'm not trained at all to be your counselor, but I'm very capable to be your fun coach. So let me tell you why I think, here's why I think it's really important for you to say, have fun and to build it into your company. I want my employees to want to work here forever. I I recognize I'm the only one who won't leave, but (laughs) I I want them to want to be here all the way to the end. And the only way you get people to want to stay somewhere is to offer them the fullness of life. And that means you grieve when they're grieving, you celebrate when they're celebrating, you work hard together, you rest together, you eat together, like you you live the fullness of life together. So for you to work in fun into your company value is actually going to make your employees and your team members want to stay longer. Not because you're taking them to Top Golf and not because you're buying them lunches, but because they recognize that you, if you will laugh with them, you will cry with them. And people need, they need to know that their workplace where they are eight hours a day, the majority of their day and the majority of their week, they need to know that that's a place where the fullness of their life is allowed to be there, not just the robotic doing their tasks. So you inviting that into your company is actually saying like, I recognize I need help having fun. I bet we all do. So we're going to talk about it and we're going to come up. I mean, 
Carrie, one of the things I would suggest to all of our friends listening with the teams that they lead or with their family or both is if you will sit down and say to each other, tell me what sounds fun to you. Hmm. Start asking each other that. So Carrie, I'm going to genuinely ask you, ask you, tell me what sounds fun to you. Oh, getting out on the boat this spring. I cannot yeah. wait. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said it just right. Let me tell you what you said. Uh, when we say, I can't wait, that is really healthy pursuit of fun. Mm. Oh, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. When we say, if I could only, mm. that's escapism. Mm. And there's something sideways there, right? So if you said, oh. I mean, Annie, if I could only get out on the boat, if I could only, if it was only spring, that is, that, that is an unhealth, that, that is a moment where you're having an unhealthy moment right. about the life you have. But you said, I can't wait, which means mm-hmm. I am very fine right here, but I cannot wait till it's spring and I can go out on my boat. That tells me your fun is a really healthy fun and it's not you running. Now, there are times where I say, uh, for right now, I don't like the cold. I cannot wait for it to be <laughs> warm. If only it was warm, I would be outside. If only, you know, so it's, it, it is That's a really hard, interesting rules, Distinction, yeah, because one is anticipation and the other yes. is, I don't know what you would call it. It would just Escapism. be like misery. Want, you Escapism. Want out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you want out. Yeah. And wow. that's a problem. Okay, if yeah, only it was Easter, if, it, if only it was the Monday after Easter, then mm-hmm. we'd be past all this. If only it was June, if only, you know, even if only it was the fourth week of tithing and we had enough, you know, like if you, if only all the time, then you need to assess why you're trying to get out of the thing you're in right now. Okay. So you are a strong advocate of having a hobby and pre-burnout. I had no hobbies and I realized that I learned that like, I'm like work was my life. And I was that 36 year old dad who came home. Kids wanted to play in the backyard and I'm too tired. That was me. So I've spent the last 15 years unboxing that, unpacking that. What are the emotional drivers? What are the physical drivers? Why did, wow. I, why did I live that way? And how do I not live that way in the future? And, you know, I've apologized to my kids for that. I'm like, there's a lot of things that I wish I could do over. And I've got a lot of wisdom. But one of the flags early on on the other side of burnout, and that's why it's so resonated with me, is I need a hobby. So, you know, I'm a boater now. I bought a bike, which is good fitness, but I actually enjoy it. I've taken up yeah. running more recently. Um, which is again, two for one. I actually enjoy it. It's kind of painful, but uh, barbecue, I have big green egg in the backyard. So you don't need a lot. And I'm experimenting with photography again. I'm not sure that one's going to stick, but um, because I've tried that a few times, but those are like some good, fun hobbies. And there's a passage in the book, if I'm not mistaken, if I get this wrong, I'm going from memory. You're sitting around with a bunch of friends or girlfriends and you're like, who has a hobby? And can you take us through that moment? Yeah, of course. Uh, first, can I just celebrate you? Because one of the things I love about your Instagram is you are, you are as much as you're teaching us how to lead, you're teaching us how to have hobbies. Mm. I have thought that about you before because I think, man, Carrie is leading all of us leaders so well because it's not just a bunch of slides about how to be a better leader. Though those are important and good. You also, I know you have a boat. I know you do. I know you bike. I know you have a green egg. Like you have, you are modeling that in your leadership for us. And I am, for one really thankful. Well, thank you. Part of that is to show how boring my life actually is that, you know, most of the time <laughs> when I'm not that. writing. Don't shame your fun. Don't shame your fun. <laughs> You're not allowed to judge your fun. It's not good. That's it's good. not healthy. Um, yeah. So a couple of years ago, maybe last summer, summer of 19. So two summers almost, um, some girlfriends and I were eating dinner and I said, I was working on this part of the book and I said, okay, tell me what y'all do for hobbies. And it was crickets. 
Nobody could come up with anything they did. Now, they're in, it was married women, single women, moms, non-moms, working women, stay-at-home women, lady, one lady of leisure who just doesn't have to work. And nobody could actually identify something as a hobby. Right. And that got us really concerned. And I was included in that. I was like, I don't know what I do either. I hang out with my friends for fun. Is that a hobby? Yeah. And it's like, no, an actual hobby is when you do something or make something that is just for fun. And mm. so in fact, when I'm like the way I differentiate even my own running is sometimes I'm running because I'm wanting to hit goals. And if it's my Sabbath and I'm out on a run, I'm not keeping track of how far I'm going. I'm not trying to hit a certain time. I'm not trying to hit a certain distance. I am just going to go. Hmm. So even in your activities, you can separate at times when it's competitive with yourself and when it's a hobby. But man, now, now I'm watching my friends pick up. We've, we've all picked up things and tried to bring back some of the joy and some of the beauty of having a thing we love to do that actually does not make us anything. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had a friend of mine who told me years ago, he said, hobbies cost you money. That's oh, it. That's great. I thought that's a really good. And you know, it's interesting because one of my hobbies early after burnout was I was going to start to write in the morning because I found it enjoyable. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden it blew up and people started showing up and podcasting was a hobby and then it blew up. And I'm like, it crossed a line somewhere where this is now my job. Now, now it actually yes. is my job, but then it no longer yes. counts as a hobby. Yes. I might still enjoy it, but now I have to go find another hobby. Do you, do you see That's distinctions right. like that in your life? Oh, that happens to everyone listening. All these high capacity listeners you have, yeah. this has happened to them a hundred times where uh -huh. they did something really well for fun and someone else said, you need to go pro. You don't, you can't be an amateur in this anymore. You need to sell that thing. You need to open that Etsy shop. You need to preach about that on a Sunday. You need to start a podcast about that. Everyone needs to hear about that. And a lot of times our friends are right. When mm -hmm. they're telling us to go pro on something, it's because they see potential that we don't see. But there are other times where you're like, no, I'm just going to keep baking sourdough bread because I love it. I'm not opening a bakery. I'm okay. just saying no. It's, it's just drawing that boundary of, I will not sell this. I will not, I will let this cost me money, not make me money. So that's my barbecue. I've had so many leaders reach out to me on Instagram and in person because they think, oh, you're sponsored by Big Green Egg. And when I thought about that, and I love the Big Green Egg, and I mean, you're it's You're like, great. I'm sponsoring Big Green Egg. I'm like, listen, if they gave me a dollar for this, it would ruin it for me. I don't want yes. it. This is just for me. Yes, that's exactly. That is how I feel about cross stitching. I was going to say, like, I love give us some making hobbies. those you've, little you've patterns. Embraced. Yeah, that's that's what I've picked back up. And the way we shame our fun, like you started to do, mm -hmm. that I won't let you do, carry you off, is I can say yeah. to you, "Oh, I cross stitch like a grandmother." Aren't all of our grandmothers cross stitchers? And like, and, and let me tell you why. I, I mean, I'm going to just be vulnerable with you and walk you through that shame sure. because I need people. I want people to hear what happens to our fun and why it really matters. Mm. I don't want to talk about cross stitching because it's a grandmother thing to do. And I'm, and, and immediately my brain goes, I'm not married yet. Men will not be attracted to me if I cross stitch. Wow. That's a ridiculous path that is not scientifically true at all. But that can happen with our fun and with our hobbies where we go, well, I can't tell anyone how much I love singing because I'm not a very good singer, because what we're actually afraid is if anyone really knew, would they still love me? 
That is the question we're always asking. And that still comes through in our hobbies. If anyone really knew that how much I like this, or if they knew how I spent my free time, or if my life, if they, my life is so boring compared to some other people's, it's like, no, we, we just love you for being you. Annie's allowed to cross stitch. Mm. Carrie's allowed to bike and, and cook on his big green egg. Like, of course, do whatever you want. And so, so that matters. It matters. That's why we need to sit around and say to people, what sounds fun to you? And then why, why, why? And if you keep digging into their whys, if you sat around with your staff or with your family this week and you did this, tell me what sounds fun to you. And then you ask them why twice. Oh yeah. Almost always it's going to get down to when I was a kid. Mm. Well, when I was a kid, because that is what we all, we all want to be loved and accept, accepted like we felt on our best days as kids. Not everybody had a perfect wow. childhood, but we want to feel as safe and loved as we did on our best days as a kid. And sometimes we felt that on a basketball court. And sometimes we felt that cross-stitching with our grandmother. And sometimes we felt that hiding in a bedroom with the door closed because we didn't hear the yelling and the fighting and we read books. And so you just go like, oh my gosh, you are telling, when you tell me about your fun, you're telling me about your soul mm. and, and how you got here. And so it matters so much to have that conversation and to listen to people. So then when they, so I picked up cross-stitching game because I miss my grandmother because my life feels Aww. really stressful. And it didn't when I had, when I sat in cross-stitch with my grandmother. And so, so it's stuff like that. That's like, I'm playing soccer again because I'd quit playing soccer because I wasn't in high school anymore. And the narrative I then heard was, well, now you're too slow and now you won't. And now you won't. And now, you know, and I had worked myself all the way down to where I couldn't, didn't want to get outside and play anymore. And so it has, I mean, it's just a whole different thing when you shame your fun and when you trust and listen to yourself talk about why your fun matters. There is so much truth there. You know, both my boys, they're in their 20s now and they've taken up woodworking. So they're building furniture and I bought them power tools for Christmas, that kind of thing. And I've I've had the privilege of of working with some of them on some projects. And I just realized there's so much shame attached to me for my lack of mechanical skills. And to watch, because I'm a man, right? And you should know how to run a saw. I don't even know what to call them, right? right? Yeah. And, and. Uh, and it's interesting watching them like kind of just embrace it with curiosity. And and I wonder if you really drilled down this rabbit hole, how much you would find that your hobbies or pursuit of fun is or lack of it is attached to shame and curiosity. Yes. Curiosity. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Like there's a curiosity to a hobby, right? Like I've been thinking I don't like my handwriting. Um, it's bad because I'm typing yeah. all the time. I'm like, maybe yeah. I'm going to take up calligraphy. Ooh, that could be fun. Like, right. Like maybe, maybe I'll just teach myself through YouTube or whatever, how to actually write differently, but that's a curiosity. And I think the older you get, I'm older than you, you have to exercise that gene or else it's going to go away. You have to exercise that muscle. I should say, especially for leaders is Mm. we think we can't be amateurs at anything. We think we need to be a professional at everything. And so people don't want to be curious because you're curious about what you don't know. And if you don't know it, are you sure you're a good leader? Right. Right? And it doesn't work. And so with cross-stitching, a simple example is, I I don't know how to do that pattern. How will I do this? I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to start. But if you won't do it on cross-stitching, you probably won't do it when you're in the middle of a situation where you need to be a part of a racial reconciliation conversation Mm. where you go like, I can't. 
I, I don't trust myself to be curious. I don't trust myself to not know everything in the little things. I won't trust myself in the big things. And so you're exactly right. You're, you're, what you just expressed about power tools is it makes me want to, if we weren't in front of all these people and if we were sitting around a table yeah. eating from the green grill, the green egg and drinking wine, I'd be like, well, why are you afraid to use tools that are going to make something beautiful? Are there any other tools you're afraid to use to make something beautiful? Yeah. And then like, we're we would uh, just... three questions away from being emotional at that point. You're right. That's right. That's There's right. so much That's attached exactly to right. that. And it's, I have thought about that quite a bit. And it's another story for another day when we are around the big yeah. green egg drinking wine. Okay. That's another story okay. for another okay. day. When you but come on my show, when your book comes out, I will. I'm bringing this back up. <laughs> 100% I'm down for that. But you know, it's really interesting. And I think we forget about that. We forget about the play. We forget about the curiosity mm-hmm. and we forget. And, and I think somehow that must all feed back into leadership. Not that that's the goal, but like you said, like if you're not willing to be bad at writing or bad at power tools, the racial reconciliation dialogue of the last year or so, I have felt like times like I'm not qualified for this. Like, I don't even know what to say. And I've talked to my African-American friends off the record and I'm like, help me figure this stuff out. And you have to be in a certain place to be able to say that or else you either handle the dialogue poorly or you don't touch it at all. That's right. And I think because there's a fear of being canceled and a fear mm-hmm. of your everyone you lead coming up in arms if you do this wrong, yes. it is a very scary thing. But but there also is a way you get to lead of go, hey, I'm learning here. What are you right. learning? Can I tell you what I'm learning? Because here's a book I read or here's a conversation I had. So I, I just hung up with another mutual friend of ours, Sam Acho. Mm. And I said to Sam, I was like, he said, what have you learned in the last year? And I said, I have learned that when someone tells me their story, I just believe them. I believe them. Mm. And so that's been a very learning thing for me in this conversation. And so that is a way I can start if I have to get in this, if I have to get to get in the conversation that isn't easy for me. But, and with leaders, it's always hard. We don't want to be amateurs at anything because people are watching, whether it's our children or our church staff or our employees or an entire community of people online. It's hard to not be good at everything. And I get yelled at some for it, but, but also I want to try. I, I can't only do what I know how to do. You know, it's so funny. I'm, my mind's flashing all over the place. That whole thing, shame associated with new things. I'm thinking back to a vacation my wife and I did in Australia. I did a speaking tour there mm-hmm. and we, planned a couple of fun days and we did some sea kayaking and Tony's like way more into that than I am. And I'm like, I don't know how to sea kayak. It's the ocean. It's not even a lake. And then we get there and everybody's like 25 to 30 years younger than me. And we're like the parents on there. And I'm like, we're going to fail, but we kept right up. It was great. And I'm like, what is that? That is worth chasing down next counseling session. Let's go there. That's it. I think that's what I would encourage all of our friends is when you're asking around a table or even to yourself, what sounds fun to me, the things you start stirring up, don't ignore those. Right. Like that, that is a treasure of some kind that you're digging up. You need to pay attention. Okay. So I have to ask you, particularly because you're a seven (laughs) and the little I know, the little knowledge is so dangerous, Annie, but little I know of the Enneagram (laughs) is, and you're really more pro on that than I am, but there can be a difference between using fun. And I wrote this down, so I want to get it right to bury the pain or using fun to relieve or resolve the pain. Is there a point or where is the point where fun is unhealthy and when is it healthy? 
Yeah, I think it it can go back to the if I only and right. and I can't wait part conversation. But also, what I would say is uh, there are times where, and I write about this in the book, where I needed to go see a movie to like check out of the world for three hours, right? It, this is very similar to our, if we're not okay in May, someone say something. It's like, okay, if I was paying to see a movie every day in the theater for three weeks, we should probably talk. Like, you just need to kind of look at your own life and go like, and the problem is we almost always know the answer. Am I running or am I having fun? Am I, and the reason fun has gotten such a bad rap in the church is when we were teenagers, it was like, don't do this, this, and this. And it was like, well, that all sounds like a lot of fun. So the stuff we got grounded for was fun. The stuff that we got in trouble with our pastors for was fun, right? Yes. There's no question. And so then we go like, well, I'm an adult and, and I don't want to get drunk. That was fun when I was 16. It was wrong. And it was, and the Bible says not to do it. Why do I, why does that sound like fun to me? Well, it sounds like fun because you're trying to run from something mm. and you, you don't want to feel. And so, so let's talk about that before we make that decision. Does that make sense? Versus it does. Like, it's a much more nuanced understanding of fun though, right? right? Like it can feel like the blow off thing, but actually this uh -huh. is therapy. Uh -huh. Have you, and, and if you said it in the book, I might've missed it, but um, the link between fun and creativity is fairly well established. Any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I think I think you are your best creative self when there's fun existing mm. in your life because you're curious, because you're trying new things, because you've seen beauty outside. I mean, you and I talked about this before, but if I get stuck, I don't believe in writer's block because I've never run out of words to say. So I'm like, nah, Annie, that's not you. You've got words. But if I can't think of how I want to say the next thing, if I go on a walk, everything changes. Because I'm seeing beauty, I'm experiencing the weather. It's a it's a John Eldridge way of of seeing the world, right? Like before you get on your phone, go walk for 20 minutes outside. And so to me, creativity, when I am having fun, not even like every day is fun. It's like, is there any part of my week that I've set aside a 30 minute window that could be really fun for me and my friends? If I know there's some fun somewhere, I think I'm more creative. Yeah. Grief you also touch on. It's not exactly a fully recurring yeah. theme in the book, but you talk about it. You're pretty honest about your grief. Um, how are grief and fun related or are they? Yeah. I mean, I think we all saw Inside Out, right? And we all saw that, that what we learned from that movie, sorry to spoil it if no one's seen it, but it's been out for a lot of years. <laughs> but joy and sadness actually are better together than they are apart. They actually make each other more vibrant. And so, and the other interesting thing all throughout the Bible is that when people were grieving, they were grieving for days mm. and weddings lasted a week, yeah. right? Like everything, every feeling people had before modern era, every feeling people had was allowed to last longer than it's allowed to last now. And so I just wonder as we're grieving, if we can, it's why people you'll, after you go to a funeral, you'll go to dinner at the family's house and people will be laughing. There will be stories that make people laugh. There'll be stories that make people, that someone will do something that makes everyone laugh. And there's this moment of like, are we allowed to do this? Well, yes, yes. You are actually allowed to be a full human. And so to believe that laughter and fun and joy can go along with sadness and grief is really important. Either way, it is a full opening of your heart. Yes, It is a, a full expression of who you are. 
And when we, as the, as the people who receive your heart, get the fullness of who you are, we are so lucky. Mm-hmm. I feel so lucky when people let me into their fun and into their grief, when we get both sides of them. And uh, it's just so generous. And so that's what we get to do for people. Oh, okay. I want to ask you uh, one more question, which is, okay. and this is this is a really special phrase to me. I give you a heads up on this one, but okay, yeah. uh, one of the lessons on the other side of burnout for me is that one of the the challenges of life is to see life for what it really is. Like there are times uh-huh. where it really sucks. We can say that on this show, like it just really yeah, stinks. Course. Something bad happened. You did something bad. Somebody did something bad to you. Life is painful. Life is tragic. So you see life for what it really is, but you keep your heart fully engaged. And you've been very transparent about the ups and downs in your relationship, in your life, and in all all the things, as they say, and in numerous books, not just this one. I think you've done that really well. How have you seen life for what it really is and yet kept your heart fully engaged? Yeah. Well, part of it is somebody knows everything. Nothing is secret. I think it's hard to have your heart fully engaged when you're hiding. And mm-hmm. so I, everybody doesn't know everything, but somebody knows every piece of me that I, that I know, you know, that what's yeah, that yeah, window yeah. where it's like what everyone knows that I don't know. And I, I hate all that. But as much as I know, I have shared with someone else. So I think that really matters. I think this is a terrible answer, but I think age really helps. Mm-hmm. I think the longer you do this, the more you go like, there's a counselor here in Nashville. His office is actually next door to mine. And he says, life is tragic, but God is faithful. Life is tragic, but God is faithful. Is. Like that is just, I, and we keep running into tragedies. <laughs> I, you know, whether it's a moral failure, as we like to say, or yeah. whether it's a death of someone we love, or whether it's our world being shut down for a year, life is tragic. <laughs> and and yet we get these glimpses of God's faithfulness and kindness. And so I, I believe that I see life for what it really is. It is full of tragedies and full of disappointments and full of joy too. It, mm. it is such such a cornucopia, uh, such a mixed bag of all the feelings. And I keep my heart fully engaged because I just genuinely believe, I just don't want anyone I know to walk away from a conversation with me and not be very sure how I feel about them. Mm. I just don't want anyone to not be sure. And so it leaves me vulnerable. It leaves me embarrassed sometimes. Most of the times it leaves me so happy. Like, Carrie, I, I don't want us to hang up and you not know how highly I think of you, how much I enjoy talking to you. I mean, that's why I tell you, because I think if something happens to me tomorrow, <laughs> you can always say, I knew Annie really liked me. Yeah, She told yeah. me. I know Annie really liked me. And so I think that's how you keep your heart fully engaged is, is everyone knows how you feel about them. You don't have to have my personality for that to be true, but there's a way you can express to people how you feel about them. And the more you do that, I think the more your heart grows. I love that answer. The book is really nuanced. Uh, I mean, I would encourage leaders, particularly those of you who don't read fiction or like, you know, you're always reading leadership books. I would encourage you to get Annie's book and read it. It is a wonderful read. It's beautifully written you notice a lot of details, which is actually really refreshing. And you know what I feel like you do and and what this conversation does and what the book does and everything you do on your podcast and platform is leaders always feel the middle and the lows, but I think you give us permission mm. to feel the highs. Please, yes. Mm. I believe in that so much. We live, unfortunately, as leaders, we live in the middle and manage the lows constantly. Yeah, um, and and we forget. That's why that's why we have to set dates like 
Okay, by May. And, and you know, we said before the book came out, we set goals for what success would be. We set goals for our podcast network for success. And I don't do it uh, because I believe in goal setting. I do it because I want to throw a party when we hit it. Yeah. If we don't ever set goals, we will never know when we've succeeded and never know when those highs are. And so and so it matters a ton to me that that as leaders, particularly, we model and give example of what it looks like to win well. And a friend had to remind you that you bought champagne, what, five years ago uh, or something. Can you beverage. believe that story? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Can I tell Do you have time for me to tell it real quick? I got time. It's wild, Carrie. So I was in Napa with some girlfriends six years ago (laughs) and we were at Stromsburg, which is one of the, it is not champagne because it's not from the champagne part of France, but it is sparkling wine. But everyone knows what I mean. And, and they will engrave bottles for you. Wow. And so you can get, you know, your wedding and your date and, or your engagement and the date or a six, any kind of thing like that. And I remember saying to them, I was about a year out from a book coming out, a book called Looking for Lovely came out right after that. And then I, and that was in 16 and then Remember God in 18. And I put it in the, and I said, I am going to drink this when we hit New York Times. This is like, (laughs) we will share this when I, whenever a book hits New York Times. I put it in the fridge in 2016, pulled it out the next week when we didn't hit the list, put it back on the shelf. Put it in the fridge 2018 for Remember God. Pulled it back out the next week when we didn't hit the list. And it just broke my heart both times. Well, since then, I've moved to a new house and and I put it all away and I just had not thought of it. And I mean, it, this is just such an example of community and fun and kindness because my friend Nicole calls and after we hit New York Times with That Sounds Fun and she's like, when are we drinking that Stromsburg? And I was like, Nicole, I did not even put it in the fridge. I absolutely forgot. I can't believe I forgot. And so we, I took it to dinner with a group of my girl, the same girls that we went to Napa, and I and we drank it at this restaurant and paid the little corkage fee. And we're like, this. Thank you for reminding me, even me who wrote a book on fun, that I needed to celebrate in a way I said I was going to celebrate. It was so special. And now I'm going to mail the bottle back to Stromsburg, and they'll recork it and re um, foil it. That's incredible. Well, again, congratulations. And this has been a gift. I hope, you know, we're heading into a season where spring's around the corner. If you're listening to this in real time, summer's coming down the road. It's a time for a big reset and a real opportunity to like, think about what will my hobby be? Um, People are going to want it. I mean, you're everywhere, Annie F. Downs. But if, if there was a place, if there was a call to action for leaders who maybe don't follow or track with you, where would you suggest they connect with you? Yeah, Instagram is probably the place I think is the most fun yeah. for me. So Annie F. Downs there. That's probably where I am the most. But really, anywhere you want to find me except TikTok. I don't have time. Cannot make time <laughs> for TikTok, Carrie. I don't know. You need to get one of those TikTok preachers on here. And tell I don't us know. How to you leave. know what? Like I've, I'm on TikTok and I'm on um, Clubhouse, but like yeah. I just don't know what to do with them. So anyway. I can't. And Clubhouse I- is interesting. We don't, we should cut, talk about this some other time. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out how to make time for Clubhouse because you have to be engaged and listening. I know. And I can't do that during the workday. And so I, I'm like. That's exactly where I am, Annie. And I mean, I looked the other day. I haven't done anything on it. I've got like a lot of followers and right. I'm like. I don't even know what to do with this. So we'll have to figure yeah, that out. Yeah, because I want to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Did y'all just want to listen to me have a conversation with another leader? I do that. It's called a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. And I can do it I've when it suits that. me. Yeah. 
I know. Okay, so I'll tell you what. Here's a call to action on social. Uh, I'm Carrie Newhoff. You're Annie F. Downs. Or in the show notes to this episode, if you, as listeners, I was thinking of doing this, can think of something that Annie can add value to on Clubhouse, or I can, let us know. Like, tell us tell yeah. us how to run these things. You guys, totally. you're certainly ahead of me and on that one. So we'll figure that out. So maybe and we'll be on Clubhouse doing this. And if you want to post about your hobbies, this. tag us too. Tag us about tag your it. hobbies you're working on. I love, it is one of my favorite things, Carrie. I love seeing people do their hobbies. Ah, you know what? And I think that is good. That, that would be a final thing. And you do this really well too, because your Instagram is a combination of professional and fun and your life, right? It's you. That's what I always say. Yeah. Like I actually mm-hmm. run most of my Instagram as yep. opposed to other platforms. And yeah. uh, I, I, ju- I just show up there. And I think your people, when they mm-hmm. follow you, they love to see you. And yeah. that's what you lead with. Annie, this is a joy. Right. Thank you so much. You have standing invitation. So you just come back whenever and we'll have some I more will. fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And again, thanks for how you lead me. I'm, I'm a better leader because of you. Well, same. Thanks, Annie. Well, that went all over the place, which is one of the things I just love about Annie. And uh, man, that was that was really good. I'm going to talk to you about why you need a hobby. Um, we touched on that a little bit, but I'm going to give you a few reasons because you know what? I know some of you need convincing. I needed convincing years ago. I've picked up a few hobbies since then. It's been so good. It's been so life-giving. I'm a better leader and a better human because I have hobbies and because I've learned to try to have fun. So anyway, if you want show notes, you can find those over at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 412. Next time, who do we got? Francis Chan. And it is a powerful conversation. We catch up with where he's at, but we also talk about division and uh, division in the culture, division in the church. Here's an excerpt. You have to write something pretty shocking, right? <laughs> it's, it's just that the possibility of um, stirring up anger uh, we couldn't do that before. Before, if you wanted to fight me, you'd have to find me. Hmm. Now you can just, you don't even have to know my email. You can just post something about me. So that's next time. Subscribers, you know, it gets delivered automatically. This is a growing podcast. If you're brand new, welcome. And uh, why don't you subscribe and maybe tell a friend if this episode has been encouraging to you. Annie loves to hear from you on the socials, so you can tag her, tag me, and occasionally we repost that kind of stuff. Also coming up on the show in the next little while, we have Simon Sinek. Uh, Gordon McDonald is back. Greg McEwen just decided to come back, which I'm so excited about. We have Gene Twenge, Alan George, formerly of Life Church, uh, Amy Edmondson, Derwin Gray, so many more. And now I want to talk to you about what I'm thinking about. Brought to you by World Vision. Uh, you can sign up for their free web series with Danielle Strickland. Do it today by going to worldvision.org forward slash carry and go to servehq.church to sign up to receive your free 14-day trial. Use the code carry to get 10% off for life. So let's talk hobbies, okay? For years, I didn't have hobbies. I was too busy. I was too, you know, too this, too into my work and all that stuff. And then as a lot of you know, I burned out. That was 15 years ago. And since then, one of the things I've added back into my life is hobbies. Uh, I experimented for a little while. Tried photography, bought a, you know, not a high-end camera, but like a decent DSLR. And did that for a year or two. I'm like, eh, I don't really enjoy this. I bought another one recently too, mostly for work and thought, oh, maybe I'll take up photography. It's like, eh, nope, didn't work. So, I mean, I'm going to use it for work, but I just don't want to go out and shoot pictures. I don't know why. 
Um, but I have picked up a few hobbies. So I kind of have the three Bs, boating, barbecue, and bicycles. That's what I do. Bought myself a road bike. I do actually enjoy it. It's one of the few forms of exercise I actually enjoy. And it's good for you, right? Like, I mean, if you want to stay healthy over the long run as a guy in his 50s, I got to tell you, uh, take care of your health because these things do catch up to you. So I really do enjoy cycling. Another one is barbecue. Uh, my wife got me a big green egg for a birthday a number of years ago. And I love that. We use it almost every day, cook almost all of our meat and many other things on it. And it's just something I really enjoy doing. And I love having people over. We can't wait. We're redoing our backyard this year to accommodate even more people uh, because we love to host and being able to throw something on the egg like a brisket, make some burnt ends. Oh, it's good. And uh, then the other thing is boating. Uh, we live near a lake. We don't live on the lake, but we live near a lake and we have a boat. have had one for years. And uh, I don't know. I was saying to Tony the other day, we also bought a canoe last year. And uh, when I'm on the water, I seem to just leave my other life on the shore. I don't know what that is, but it's just like instantly peaceful, whether that's a canoe or a little uh, 21 foot, uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whether that's a canoe or a 21 foot bow rider. I mean, I just love being on the water. It's just so peaceful. And for those of you who get out there, maybe a fish, I'm not really a fisherman. I don't really enjoy that, but uh, I'll do it with friends, but you know, I just like being out on the water and that's good. So what, what do hobbies do? Like, what is the function of them? And I've got three thoughts for you today. Number one, I think that's been a key for me over the last 15 years to stay out of burnout. Burnout once, don't want to do it again. And, uh, you know, that's not the only thing. You got to live at a sustainable pace. I got a book coming out about how to stay out, <laughs> stay out of burnout in the fall. It's called At Your Best. I mean, it's way more complicated than that. But hobbies are part of the recipe. I think it's really important. Number two, uh, I find it very difficult to relax because if you do what I do, you know, you're planning podcasts, you're writing books, you're speaking, you're, you're, you know, you're leading a team. Like when I sit down, guess what I think about? I think about work and I think about, oh, I could do this or I could do that. So to just sit around and like not do anything is very difficult for me. And that, that sort of, helps me relax. It's like, hey, I'm going to do something entirely different. And that leads us to the third point, which is that a hobby by definition requires you to focus on it, not on your day job, right? So some of you may enjoy woodworking. I do a little bit of that with my boys, but like when I'm like working with power tools, uh, I am not thinking about my job. I can't. Why? Because I've, I've got to focus on not chopping off my fingers or getting this cut right. Or, you know, when I'm barbecuing, it's just kind of like another zone or when I'm on the water. When I'm cycling, yeah, that would be one where sometimes I'm listening to podcasts. But if I want, really want to relax, I just put some music on and then I go. Or sometimes, you know, no sound at all and just go out and ride for an hour. But if you have a hobby and it could be photography, it takes your, your full focus. So whatever that is, I would recommend, and I'm, I'm guessing that there's a surprising number of you, a surprising percentage of you that would say, I don't have any hobbies. I don't have any friends. Okay. Get some hobbies, get some friends. It's a really good thing. And that's going to keep you better for the long haul. So when I look back to where I was 15 years ago, I'm probably leading 10 X what I was back then in terms of impact and I have better life. So they're not mutually exclusive. Anyway, Annie, thanks for encouraging us to have some fun and uh, to talk about the importance of a hobby. 
That's a really important thing. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And hey, have you checked out The Leader Circle yet? If you haven't and you've listened all the way to the end, head on over to theleadercircle.live. Would love to see you in there. And we got a 30-day free trial going on if you want to check it out. Uh, Done-for-you staff training on a wide variety of subjects, uh, a lot of which we cover in this podcast, but in a form that you can use with your team every single month. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I can't wait till the next episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.